Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up for the Truth, educating, empowering, and connecting Christians to stand on God's Word and truth. A man who won't stand up for his own principles is not really a man at all. Get involved by emailing comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. You can't handle the truth! Now, here's the host of Stand Up for the Truth. Mike LeMay. Cutting through the noise and fog of this world and pointing us to the eternal, inerrant truth of God's Word. Hello, friends. Mike LeMay and Crash Connell, and we welcome you to another edition of Stand Up for the Truth, a jam-packed hour with John Leffler this hour, and we will go there after we open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you in a world of confusion that you are truth, that we can read your Word and we can count on a God who cannot lie a God who is consistent, who is holy, righteous, and just when we are none of those. So, Lord, we thank you for the wisdom you impart in your word through your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us as this world uh, just continues to cascade more and more toward evil, to stand above the fray, to be people of love, uh, to be people who are confident in the hope we have in Jesus Christ, and give us the power, Lord, to emulate that hope to a world that desperately needs us, needs it. Lord, bless us this hour. Uh, Help us to uh, magnify your word and glorify your name. And we give you thanks for all this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, the Bible tells us the one thing that should distinguish God's people from the world is our love of him and one another. Now, we're taught to not only love one another as Christians, but to forgive our enemies, pray for them, and never respond to hatred with hatred. We are to be a unique and holy people, separate from the ways and teachings of this world. But that is not what Satan and this world wants. It will taunt us, hoping to provoke us toward anger and hatred, so they can say that we Christians are just as bad as everyone else. And once the light of the world is neutralized, well, what is to stop the world's march toward evil? Well, joining us to talk about the seeming growing hatred in society, our good friend John Leffler, of Steel on Steel Radio. John, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. Here's our monthly checkup. There we go. Cough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, John, I've, I've got to start with this story I just heard this morning when we talk about the level of anger in our nation in every aspect of life, and I thought we could talk about what's causing this and where it's headed. A woman in Georgia a couple of days ago went to a McDonald's and ordered a bag of French fries, and they were cold. So she went home and got a gun and came back and shot up the McDonald's because the French fries, a $1.39 package of French fries were cold. This is just getting to a level of absolute insanity, is it not? Uh, it really is. Um, if you give me a couple of minutes, I can actually lay the history of how we got here. Please do. Um, so, so we have a framework. Yeah, I was thinking when you were saying that, you know, my father-in-law, who was 98, just passed away last year and grew up in western Colorado on a ranch. And he would ride to school in the morning on a horse to get to school, along with all of the other boys, and they all had rifles in the saddle holsters because in western Colorado in the beginning of the 20th century, you didn't know what you were going to encounter, you know. Uh, But they weren't shooting each other. Why is that, you know? Uh, What was the difference? Well, starting in about... um, Right after World War II, actually, let's bump it up to 1960. In 1960s, we threw God out of the school and threw the Bible out as a basis for morality. That was the first step in this whole thing. And immediately, an army of psychologists and psychiatrists, Skinner, Maslow, uh, all descended upon the school system, hoping to test out their theories, you know, Bloom's taxonomy, things with which teachers are very, very familiar. That was the first change in the morality. The second change, of course, was the flower child generation, which was the, that's my generation. If it feels good, do it generation. And don't worry about trying to keep marriages together. Don't keep your commitments. It's, uh, it's basically all about you. And that's the next step is there was another shift in education starting about 1989 in which the emphasis of education shifted to consensus thinking. They called it critical thinking, but it really wasn't critical thinking like you and I would think about it. It was changing it to uh, group 
consensus. At the very same time, if you remember, even from Sesame Street, we were telling people, you know, your feelings, let your feelings out. Remember the little goat? Mm -hmm. If it's not bad to get mad uh, and, and do that. And it's all about you. And at the same time, we taught them that values were relative. That was postmodernism. So we've taught them it's about their feelings. We should be concerned about what the group thinks. All values are relative and your values are personal. Uh, even we used to talk about self-actualization. You know, that was one of the psychological concepts back then. Well, when you do that, it really sounds nice to that generation because it, it relieves them from the stress of having to live according to a fixed moral code. But the problem is, is the woman who shot up the, the McDonald's in Georgia was simply living out her belief system. So we shouldn't criticize her, you see. And that's the problem. So that's how we got here in terms of the changes in morality. We threw God out, we brought in psychology, we said that all values are relative, that you clarify them yourself, that it's about you and how you feel. Politically, what happened to this run-up and why there is such a shock run-back now is because for years, the media, you know, Mike, you and I have talked about this quite a bit, the media just continued this whole march and everybody thought the world was the way they were describing it. Along came talk radio in the 80s and then the Internet in the 90s. And people could listen to podcasts and read newspapers other than the gatekeepers. And they discovered there were thousands of people that thought just like they did that was different from this whole progressive march to the radical left that we've been under for the last 50 years. And the first time you saw it was the Tea Party Revolution. Well, you really saw it in 1994, but nothing happened, okay? This, the, the deep state stayed the same. 2008, and there was the Tea Party Revolution, which was really a, a shock to the, to the progressive elite left in government and in our media and in academia, because they've suddenly discovered, that's what they're woked about, they've suddenly discovered there's a huge crowd of people in this country that haven't been marching in lockstep with us these last 40 years. And so they began calling them racists and all the epithets they could throw. They ignored the fact that the Tea Party just wanted limited government, less taxation, more accountability, and a return to constitutional values. And somehow they said that was racist. Okay, I'm not sure. And then the last shock was, of course, the election of uh, President Donald Trump when their media... Had, I'm surprised people listen to these people anymore, you know, the media. They, they said Trump's, uh, Mrs. Clinton's going to win, Secretary Clinton's going to win, she's going to win, she's going, she lost. Okay, and then we had the same thing, Russiagate, 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 Russiagate. Ah, oh, not enough evidence. <laughs> and now, watch the blowback, guys. If you watch the newspapers, uh, Mother Jones just had a big article yesterday and the New York Times, they're all trying to get ahead of the blowback, which is going to come falling down around their ears. And it will implicate President Obama and Secretary, former Secretary Clinton in actually illegal activity and spying on the Trump campaign. But the reason that there is such anger is it's all about feelings. It's about group consensus. And it's a shock. This is all a shock to their system when their echo chambers had been telling them for 40 years what things were like, and it suddenly turned out not to be. So that's how we got where we are. You know, you mentioned 1994, the so-called Gingrich Revolution, the contract with America. And right. I, remember, I remember those times well, John. And I remember Newt Gingrich and the Republicans put together a contract for America, and it had 10 points that they promised to pass. And they passed nine of the 10, the one they would not touch, was term limits. And here's what that said to me. Ah, now that we're the establishment, we don't want to have anything uh, threaten our fiefdom, our kingdom here. And it was at that day that I just started realizing, you know, we really have two political parties here that have the same goal. They just do it different ways. That's correct. They agree on the base, that the system is good, that you that everything let me let me rephrase that okay the system is good they like the system and i'll tell you about a conversation i had with congressman tom tancredo and they but they only disagree on certain superficial items and that's what everybody began to notice as as they went to congress you know we sent people to congress go fix this george uh and george went to congress and nothing changed 
because when you get there, and actually it was a Democratic congresswoman, to her credit, said, you know, we were dragged into a room and we were told how things were going to be. We were told not to work with Republicans, even on good bills. And she was upset about that. Uh, Congressman Tantan Credo, you know, you've seen him a lot on border issues. Well, he and I go way back. We used to meet in the radio studio in Denver quite a bit. And he told me, he said, Tom DeLay dragged him into his office one day because Tancredo was starting to get be an upstart on this whole border issue. And DeLay just dressed him up one side and down the other in language I won't use. And, uh, so, you know, if you don't get yourself in gear, you're not going to have a career here. And Tom Tancredo looked at DeLay and said, you don't understand. I don't like this place. I don't want to be here. Okay but I have to be here for the sake of the country. And of course he served two terms or better, but once he told them, no, I'm not your man, then they knew they couldn't touch him after that point. This is what's happening in Congress. The last election, not the 2016, but the 2018 elections, the Republicans have started to clear house. The Democrats are going more and more radical. And we see that in the squad. I call it the four Congresswomen of the apocalypse, you know, that are, uh, running out there, but we see the radical ideas, and at times it's actually raging hatred for, for what the country stands for. Not just they. I mean, we're talking about all the way back through academia. For 50 years, the country and Christianity and Western civilization have been under attack in the university system. You can criticize those three things with impunity. Uh, you just can't criticize Islam, gays, blah, blah, blah. You know how it is today. But that's where they're hypocritical because they feel free to attack Christianity and now a greater and greater extent Judaism. But, oh, Islam, oh, well, I'm sorry, we, we can't say anything, but that's Islamophobia, you know, or there's a list of phobias. And the list just gets longer. John, I want to talk a little bit about the role of social media and the Internet. When it came to being in the late 90s, it was supposed to unite and connect people. Uh, I got away from social media a year and a half ago, and it might have been the single best decision I've made other than uh, submitting my life to Jesus Christ. And what I, when I get on there once in a while and look now, I see vitriol and hatred that is unspeakable. I see people saying things to each other that they would never say to each other face-to-face. -face. So how much has social media and the Internet really fueled this hatred and anger that we see in the nation? It's uh, contributed to it because of the anonymity of it. Right. Um, I, I have a very close friend who's who, uh, one of his sons-in-law. He had a lot of daughters. One of his sons-in-law is a college professor. And when you try to engage this gentleman in face-to-face, -face, he, he, he locks up. Millennials lock up. I don't know if you've noticed this when talking to people older than they. They suddenly forget how to speak, how to do anything. But when they get behind that keyboard, I mean, he would just scorch. The, the professor is liberal and my friend is very conservative. He would just scorch away at his, at his uh, father-in-law. And finally, my friend said, you will not talk to me like this. I am your father-in-law and you will not show me that level of disrespect. But remember that generation, where did they start? Right at 1989, where Dr. Shirley McCune at the Governor's Conference on Education set the tone for where education was by changing the emphasis on from facts to just changing them how to think, meaning group consensus. It's all about feelings. And this group is all into feelings, okay? The, the millennials of this generation have really been shortchanged. And what's funny is they keep saying the baby boomers messed up, and there's evidence for that, but there's also a disclaimer. And they're going to fix it. How are you going to do that? We're going to sing Kumbaya and have relationships, etc. But they're doing exactly what the baby boom generation did wrong, only there's no longer an economic buffer. We're headed in some real economic storms. There's no longer a social buffer in there. And that's why that vitriol that you see going back and forth. If you really want to try something, just go to Mother Jones or Salon Magazine and in the reader's comments, type in something that's politically incorrect and watch the bees go crazy. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what they don't know how to do is have civil discourse. They were not trained in that. Right. Back in our generation, Mike, we were trained in how to, how to have civil discourse, allow people to agree and disagree and at the same time maintain a certain level of civility. One of my college roommates, my high school chum, is very progressive, but we still talk with each other and get together for events. Different training. 
This group thinks that by letting their spleen out all over the place, this is the way to do it. And that's what social media has done. It allows anonymity where you can just dump all over the whoever is there. And it was interesting because um, there was somebody on, on one day when I was on there, Mother Jones, and I typed in just one word when this guy was just screaming away about Republicans and this and that. And I just typed in the words, ah, tolerance, period. That was my response to his thing. Because they're always talking to, about tolerance, right? And somebody got in there immediately within a few minutes and said, I don't have to be tolerant, comma, stupid, of somebody else's intolerance. Now, first of all, that's a logical contradiction. You and I both know that doesn't work. But this gentleman didn't know it didn't work. But he couldn't resist calling me stupid. You see what I'm saying? That they, they love to do that. And so I think the rest of the country has awakened to the radicalism that is now there. And there was a professor at Hillsdale College that actually predicted this back in 2016. And he said the Democratic Party, because of what it is, is poised to do be one of two things, become irrelevant and maybe even start breaking up or become more radicalized. And then in 2018, he followed that up and said it's actually doing a bit of both right now. But there's enough going on in the blue bubble coasts and a few other places like Minneapolis and, you know, the, what I call the islands and flyover land that they're still listening to the blue bubble media. I'm not sure why, because they're being disappointed time after time again, as we show how disconnected from reality they are, but they're still listening. And I've been trying to figure out how to build this bridge. Uh, first of all, the millennials, millennials have been shortchanged and they just don't know it yet. It's going to take them 10 or 20 years of their lives before they figure out that, wait a minute, this just isn't working, you know. Uh, fortunately, a lot of members of minority groups in the black community have figured out that they've been sold a bill of goods and they're exiting the politically correct crowd. That will be the, the, the real hope for further advancement of minority groups in this country. Not all of this claptrap about racism. John Leffler is our guest today on Stand Up For The Truth, Steel on Steel Radio. John, uh, it just seems like with social media, uh, you and I have been in uh, broadcasting for a long time. And back in, uh, back in the good old days, radio was the social media. Now it's the Internet and all these social media platforms. It just seems like social media has taught us or is teaching us to copy and paste and not think. And to, uh, yeah, to a large degree, yeah. you know what I mean. Right. And, and so, like you said, the uh, it was a professor, I believe you said, just could not engage, or it was a millennial or something. I can't remember what you right. said. It was both, right? And so they can't engage because now they don't have their phones nearby, or they don't have their websites nearby. So they have to have a conversation, and they don't know how to do that. And uh, and now a lot of the young people are are not even using words anymore; they're using emojis. And so I just I'm wondering. Um, if is if there's a way that can even be reversed because are they even seeking truth or just seeking fellowship with people that believe the way they do well it's yes to both it's a trend actually there are groups of millennials moving away from that i think they're finding it's a wasteland and that it's not fulfilling and the difficulty as i see it crash is that we've we've split out into two different groups who are on their own pages and they're not interchanging with each other in any kind of a constructive way. You know, the name of our show, Steel on Steel, Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen: as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And the idea is that, okay, we're going to disagree on this, but we're going to work this one through and we'll get between the two of us, we'll get sharp. Okay, that's what we'll do. Uh, their ideas are now split. And that's somehow we have to overcome that barrier. And I'm not sure how to do that. I really am not sure. It's, I don't either. It, it's very, very challenging. You know, the more young people get conditioned, and Crash, I love what you said, they don't even use words anymore. They use emojis. Well, and, and what a way to hide behind any sort of intellectual debate. Well, Mike, uh, in, in your book, um, I, I believe it's The Death of Christian Thought, you, you, you talk about, are, are we in a position to come to the conversation, can I be wrong here? Yeah. Can I be wrong here? Am I open to, to hearing the other side? And that's the hard part. That's the hard right, part but, is but, I can't see, come he, here. He, I can't come here being wrong. But here's the complication. And, and you're right about that. The complication is 
if all truths and facts and morals are relative, can anybody be wrong when nobody believes in truth? And yet the very same people telling you they don't believe in absolute truth are complaining because people are lying and they're complaining because people don't see things their way. Exactly. That, that John, very succinctly and well put. John Leffler, Steel on Steel Radio. When we come back with John, who is watching The Watchers? If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, back to Mike LeMay. Our guest again, John Leffler, Steel on Steel Radio. John, before we get into this interesting conglomeration of tech and, and big government and who watches The Watchers, you want to talk a little bit about the two types of millennials that are out there because I, I think sometimes we tend to lump them all in the same group, but they're, they really... There really are two distinct types of millennials out there. Yeah, they're millennial A's and millennial B's, and they have different ways of looking at things. Uh, my my kids are uh, millennial A, and they uh, one of them is a college professor and teaches. And it's interesting to get her take on on incoming students and what they don't seem to be able to do. Uh, let me give you an example. If, if the two types of millennials are those who have been traditionally educated, and those who are um, who are educated in the public school system in the new think. Let's just call it new think, okay? Just like George Orwell. And if you give them a problem and you say, here's a problem, you have this strategic thing you have to solve. I'm not talking about math. I'm talking about a situational problem. Uh, how do you go about it? All right, well, the traditional group, the homeschool, private school, people who are taught traditional thinking and logic, those kids will all get around there and they'll look at each other and go, okay, uh, who wants to be the leader? I'll be the leader. Okay, good. All right, uh, you, Bob, you go over here and check this out. And Sue, we need to know this or that, blah, blah, blah. Let's all go do this, come back in an hour and see where we stand. And then we'll get to this objective. When you take the public school millennial crowd, the first thing they start doing is they begin looking at each other. It's very strange when you see it happening. They're looking and they're edgy. Why? They're trying to build a consensus without saying anything that will step outside of what is politically correct. They're fearful of that. And so they're always trying to consensus build. And it was funny, I talked to the college president of a small college and she told me, she said, we gave these millennials a task. They had to decorate the Christmas tree, okay, in the lobby of the office building of the college. That was the task and it's a big tree. You know, it goes up 10 feet, 12 feet, whatever. Uh, in this hall. And so she comes back or they come back an hour later and announce that they are done. You know, just wipe your hands there and we're done. And she looks around and <laughs> the tree is decorated up to head height and no higher. <laughs> and she said, well, there's the whole top of the tree and you didn't put the star at the top of the tree. And they said, well, yeah, we can't reach that. And she said, did you go over to the janitor's office and ask him for a ladder? Well, no. Uh, and what bothered her was not only did they not have a problem, they didn't know how to problem solve, and they didn't even have the incentive to go do it. And that's one of the things that you see in millennials is what I call heavy fall off. In certain areas where they're really good, they have a tremendous amount of knowledge, social media, et cetera, or whatever their forte is. Anything off the sides of that, it's gone. It just literally falls off. And so that's the critical difference you see in teaching people to think in what we would say a, a former logical and biblical way versus in the new consensus-based thinking. That's very, very interesting and very sad. Let's talk about the watchers, John. Um, yesterday, the Justice Department announced they are investigating Google, Facebook, Apple, and some other big tech companies concerned they have too much power and control. Now, when the federal government is worried that someone has too much power and control, I smell something rotten going on here. So you've got big tech and the government. They both have the ability to spy on us, to manipulate data, to really control our thought process. Is this just a matter of two big gorillas arguing over who's going to be the final say? Yeah, and by the way, that's the definition of fascism almost. In other words, fascism as opposed to Marxism is big business and big government in bed with each other to the exclusion of everything else uh, economically. And the the difficulty that we have, well, you asked who's watching the watchers. Q90FM's watching the watchers, okay? That's what we've been doing here for 30 years, uh, at least on my show. 
is watching the watchers. It's why after spending a previous several decades in news and other work in broadcasting, I finally got on the air and said, somebody has to tell them the other side of the story, what's going on, what they're not hearing. So the watchers are being watched. The watchers don't like that, that they're being watched, that there are watcher watchers. Um, but the flip side now is Google, and especially the social media sites, have become huge. And so that brings into question antitrust laws. But second of all, they're, they're becoming the new global commons. And so now they're exercising censorship. And Google, you know, this is going to blow out here as this goes further, is probably trying to slant search results to favor liberal ideas or democratic ideas rather than Republican ideas or conservative or uh, libertarian ideas. And so that's a problem. They're actually trying to the very thing they're accusing Russia of doing to the U.S. during Russiagate is what they want to do. They want to meddle in the elections. Can we allow the global commons to become slanted in censorship? The government can't censor us. But now Google and Facebook and Twitter are doing the censorship for them and they're getting away with it under the guise of being private organizations. You know, when you join, it's their website. You don't have a right to do anything. So do we now need a bill of non-discrimination that will control how they censor, actually prohibit censorship? except within very specific guidelines. Because right now, you know, you violated our community standards. What the heck are those? <laughs> but John, <laughs> you know, you, know you, you talked about fascism, and I, I would be surprised if a call doesn't come out to nationalize these organizations. And again, that's just fascism. So, hey, we'll have the government take over Google and Facebook and Apple, and then we'll know it's being done right. Well, then you've got a situation of the government doing exactly what it's telling Google and Facebook and Apple it shouldn't do. Well, that's the danger. <laughs> you know, that's the danger that you're in. Um, and, and how do you do that? There was a thing where uh, Pete Buttigieg was interviewed by a uh, station, a radio station. I don't know if you saw that story um, in Nashville. And then the parent company would not allow them to air the interview. And so what my antennas went up almost immediately because I believe in freedom of speech, even for people and freedom of the press, uh, even for people who, with whom I disagree. Uh, and I, I understand why the owners did that. You and I both know that there are requirements by the FCC mm -hmm. that stations give equal time to candidates in a race. Look at how many candidates there are right now for president on the Democratic side. That would have been disastrous. Now, the station did allow the interviewer to put it on his SoundCloud podcast, you know, for them, because there's no requirement there. So is the government simply going to, to come in and say, we have a level playing field and it will enforce the level playing field, or is it going to be picking winners and losers? And I think, Mike, that's the question you're asking. Exactly. Um, John Leffler is our guest, Steel on Steel Radio, on Stand Up for the Tooth. Yesterday, John, yesterday evening, I was going to try to post something on one of our pages. I'm an administrator uh, for Stand Up for the Truth, also uh, 90 Rock, our, our night show, Q90FM, and our Lights of Christmas. And this has never happened. But last night, I, got, I tried to post, and I got a pop-up that says, because of your influence over thousands of people, we need to verify some more information. And I had to go through a big process just to have my admin rights back. Huh. Just Has that happened to you yet? Has that happened? No, to it had, I've had a few stations when, when we send out the, the show every week, we're, we're, you know, we're a 90 minute weekly show and we send out links and descriptions to the stations that carry the show. So they, they pull the MP3 files right into their computers. It's somewhat automated, but also they use our descriptions. And one station tried to post the links of one of our guests because all of our guests have a right to post their materials, even if we're arguing with them. Um, and he tried to post the link and it got burped on by Facebook because it was some site that had been blackballed by their vague and arbitrary standards. As soon as he took that link out, then everything was okay. Now, what did, out of curiosity, Crash, what did I never heard of this? Well, what did you? I, have I was to so do? mad that I should have screenshotted it, but I didn't. But I, I, I just stared at my phone and it said, because of your personal influence over thousands of people, because uh, uh, Stand Up for the Truth has 18,000 people following that page, Q90 FM has over 11,000, 
and the others. So I'm, I'm, they said because of your personal uh, ability to reach thousands of people, we need to go through a, a But what a did higher. you post, Crash? What was it you were I didn't to get post? to post anything. What I were had you to go trying to post? Anything, Mike. They, they wouldn't let me post anything. They said no more posting until we verify all your browsers, all your devices, and all your IPs. So they are no longer allowing me to use a VPN, which is a virtual private network. They want to know where I am and where, you know. So I, I, I was just, I was angry about it. Because I had to go downstairs and do it all on a desktop. I couldn't do it on my device. I had to do it on a desktop. Yeah, but what, what information? So that's what they were doing. Okay. Well, yeah, you see, you know. I, they, they said you can no longer post to any of your pages till you go through this. Now, when I post, they send me a text code before I can post. So they verify that you are you. I am me. And, and th that you can do it because people are post. This comes out of what they believe to be fake news. Now, the problem is, is that they call fake news legitimate conservative sites. Okay. As well as there are bogus sites out there. Let's face it. Mm -hmm. But what they're trying to do is set themselves up as the arbiters of who is and who isn't reporting fake news. And they don't do it from an unbiased position. It's just part of that same censorship that you were just talking about. Right. And it just hit me last night. Mm, I've never seen go. anything like that. Hey, John, uh, something, and I'm going to paraphrase you here. Hopefully I get it right, but you love to say this, that eventually radical liberalism collapses under the weight of its own contradiction. And But the problem, as we've talked about, is the collateral damage done in the meantime. Well, let's talk about Senator Bernie Sanders for a minute. Last week he came out again and said everyone should earn at least $15 an hour and like two-thirds of his campaign staff said, Bernie, we're not making $15 an hour. So yet I haven't seen any real fallout in the news yet about this. Again, a contradiction. Everyone else should be making $15 an hour except people that work for me. Well, yeah, that's the problem with all of these pronouncements on the part of uh, politicians. Do they do that? themselves. Uh, the people who are proclaiming how we need to cut down on greenhouse gases still fly in private jets rather than taking commercial flights. You know, the the, the level of hypocrisy uh, is tremendously there. So, I mean, what do you do with that except point it out, right? Right. Now, uh, I the Babylon Bee, I don't know if you go to that site, it's a yeah, Christian yeah, satire. Right. Well, they've come up with a solution here. It says the uh, Sanders campaign raises pay to $700 per hour by laying off everyone except Bernie Sanders. So there you <laughs> yeah, go. We'll see. But remember, wage and price controls always result in what? Shortages and a decrease of employment. Okay. This is something, it's so funny. Every time it's ever been employed over and over and over again, the result is the same. <laughs> it does that because a business has to operate within certain parameters. Otherwise, it goes out of business. And its biggest overhead is invariably employ uh, employees. That's just the way it is. And so the last time, I can't remember when they were trying to do this and where uh, they were trying to do it. So businesses cut people back to 32 hours. So that was oh, the, the Affordable Health Care Act. You know, one of the reasons we were talking yesterday here about why employment was flat during all of the time of President Obama's tenure in the White House. And the biggest reason is we had just gone through the biggest crash since 1929. And what we needed to do was to get jobs going. Right at that moment, the Democrats brought into the House the Affordable Health Care Act and said, and we're going to tax all of these businesses, a big tax on all of the employees, blah, blah, blah. At that moment, for the next four years, everybody quit hiring. Everybody quit hiring because they're going, we don't know what's happening. You, you, you remember the rhetoric we heard in the early part of the debate about Obamacare. And so businesses, especially middle to small businesses, said, whoop, that's just it. And if you remember, there was that small business owner who was confronting, I think it was Bernie Sanders down in Texas, about the limits on Obamacare. And she says, you know, I run beauty salons all over the, I think it was the Dallas or Houston area. I pay my people X amount, and we could expand, but I can't afford to hire that one extra employee that triggers Obamacare and my having to pay the tax because I can't afford to do that. So you are limiting the growth of my business. It was Bernie Sanders. And he said, well, I believe you should pay that tax, you know. And she goes, I can't, Senator. I will go out of business because we're a narrow margin business what do I do and why are you limiting my business? And he had no answer for that. Socialists never do. No. 
All right, uh, stand up for the truth. John Leffler, Steel on Steel Radio, taking it back to God's Word, how postmodernism and individual truth is starting to affect Christianity on social media. Well, that's your interpretation is now common when Christians disagree on something from the Bible. What say you, John Leffler? Well, there is validity in differences of opinion and working things through. Never, never try to suppress that, because in the 90s, everybody was running around yelling, you're deceived, as soon as somebody you know, <laughs> didn't agree with your particular timing and view of how exactly a pre-tribulational rapture was going to play out. The flip side, however, and here's the dangerous thing on this crash, is that what that really means is there's no absolute truth, and therefore we really can't get to the bottom. It's a cop-out. It's intellectual cowardice is what it is. And the only place they ever do that Okay, the only place they ever do that is when it comes to ethics and philosophy and theology and morals. They will never do that, say, for example, if you want to take them out on the nearest freeway, blindfold them and say, now you walk across the freeway and we'll see what's going to happen here. They won't do that because they believe absolutely it's them or the semi, you know, that's going to get. And so this is where they're at. And it really frustrates me because I was in a debate with a woman who called into my Denver show many years ago. And I finally said, look, I'm, I'm trying to give you facts. I said, ma'am, I'm just trying to give you the truth. Dang if she didn't do that. This is a Christian school teacher. Well, that's truth as you see it. And I said, and that's my job. And she had no comeback to that. See, it isn't true. Everybody has a different perspective of truth. Here, the question is, do they believe that there is a real truth and that we're trying to get to it? Or do they believe there is no truth and so it's okay that we all have mush? Those are the two different ideas. Is there a truth? Can we get close to that truth in our thinking? Or there is no absolute truth, so it doesn't make any difference. You believe what you want to believe. I believe what I want to believe. And that's you know? where, where the Bible talks about iron sharpening iron. We can come. We, we come with disagreements, respectfully discuss them, but we understand there is a truth we are pursuing where today it seems just the opposite is being implemented. That's correct. And it all revolves around the issue of truth. And that, as Crash pointed out, that is what is invading Christians on social media. And it is very frustrating to have conversations with those people, because the moment you get them into a corner and you start to get to that iron sharpens iron moment where one of the two viewpoints is going to be proven wrong, they cop out, they opt out of it. And so you just wasted whatever time you spent on that conversation because they brush it off as, well, I don't have to submit to that. I don't care if it is the truth. I'll make my truth. There you go. John yeah. Leffler, Steel on Steel Radio, our guest. When we come back, one area, Democrats and Republicans are united. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, back to Mike LeMay. Our final segment with John Leffler of Steel on Steel Radio will tell you how you can subscribe to his podcast that is well well worth the very few dollars and the time it will take. Well, John, uh, you know, we never lose heart because we've actually found something Democrats and Republicans can agree on. The Senate and House overwhelmingly voted for, and President Trump said he will sign a new budget bill, which will put us deeper and deeper into debt. So there you go. There's compromise. Uh, that it is. Socialist Party D and Socialist Party are. As you mentioned before, there really isn't a lot of difference between them, even though the radicals in the Democratic Party want to transform it and the Tea Partyites in the Republican Party want to transform it. But, uh, yeah, you're right. And this is a train we're not going to get off. Well, we okay. are now, I believe, $22 trillion in yeah. debt, maybe $23 right. trillion. That is more, I believe, than our entire gross uh, uh, domestic uh, production for a year. This would be like a family that's earning $50,000 a year, having a million dollars in debt. There, there's just no way out of it except you open up new charge cards and, and uh, uh, put into the future um, more payments. Yeah, and don't talk about Deutsche Bank, right? You know, <laughs> which is laying off, what, 18,000 employees or something like that. Uh, and it has a huge derivatives exposure. Um, no, you're right. And the the problem that we have now is that we have made so many commitments to so many people and owe so much debt. This is a train, first of all, we can't admit that's running and we can't get off of it. 
Um, that's my analysis. We've had these debates here. Is there any way to keep the debt train going forever? And I'm not sure that we come out on that. But, you know, over 50% of our budget spending right now is uh, social spending. So we're committed to huge groups of people. About 20% of the budget is military, which is what the government is there to do. And then, so we only really have about 10, 30, 10, 10, about 20%, 20, 30% of the budget is really available for any kind of restriction. Well, this is a train that's out of control. And both parties know they can't pull it back in. So Rogar, uh, Rogoff and Reinhardt said that when uh, debt to GDP exceeds 93%, a crash of the economic system, I mean, a crash, we're not talking about the kind of a reset that we saw back in 2007 is inevitable. And I think we're somewhere in the mid 100 percentile, 105, 107 percent debt to GDP. I haven't looked. And um, so this this is a big train wreck that is coming. And it's the big grill in the room. Nobody wants to talk about. It. We can't get off of this. The first step you would have to do to get off of it, and you'll never hear them say this, Michael, OK, is OK, every 50 percent of everybody in Washington, D.C., go home, go find another job. Just don't come back Monday. <laughs> and if you remember J. Peter Grace back in the early 90s, who did that whole private survey of the government, the Grace Commission report, he said we could let go of 50 percent of our government workers and we there was so much bloat and corruption, we would not notice the difference. And he's right, you know. Well, you think of the the little mini government shutdowns we've had and, you know, People are saying, oh, if this happens, it's going to be a catastrophe. Well, the worst thing we witnessed was a couple of national parks were unattended. I mean, that was the worst thing we saw when we, when we shut down the government for three weeks. And there are many that would argue the only way out of this crisis is to shut the government down. Yeah, it would have to be, you know, remember that when you get to the end times, it's like a box canyon. Okay, when you get to the end run of any currency, and we're, we're headed that way. Uh, and that is in the in the beginning, you have a lot of latitude for taxation and for inflation. Inflation is an invisible tax most people don't understand that destroys the currency. But as you go forward, the canyon gets more and more narrow until you don't even have room to turn around, but you can't stop. And so you just go rushing to the end. So, yeah, you're right. And that's where it's going to be. We The, the point is, is you would have to shut down huge amounts of the government, but even that isn't going to do it. All right, because you have all of this social programs, you know, food stamps, you name it, all the subsidies, all the school subsidies, list it, list the stuff that's going on that would have to be shut down. How well do you think that's going to do during an election? And so the politicians are not about to touch this. And, you know, the, the Democrats are saying there's a there's a bridge out on the track. We're just going to go full throttle. We're going to do more and more of what we've done before and we'll jump the gorge. And the Republicans are telling everybody, run to the last car of the train and you'll be safe. OK, <laughs> that's 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 actually an excellent analogy. So you may slow the train down, but she's still going over the cliff. Hey, John, yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot, my friend. Last night, my wife and I were watching an old classic from 1960, The Time Machine with Rod Taylor and Yvette Mimieux. And of course, this guy gets in a time machine and he's able to go in the future and see what things look like. Well, if John Leffler had a time machine and you set it for the year 2030. What is your guesstimate as to what you'd see in the United States of America? You know, that's really spooky. Yesterday, I talked to James Kunstler, who's the futurist that used to talk a lot on college campuses. And we both see this economic train wreck coming, a real train wreck, which will have huge social implications, uh, depending on how they try to bail it out and who they bail it out on. The flip side remains to be seen right now. Uh, we're in that fourth turning crisis that Strauss and Howe talked about in their book, The Fourth Turning. And that is we will do one of two things. We will reform and go back to the foundational things that established us and proceed as a somewhat healthy country. Or we will continue along this line and ultimately the chaos will get so bad that it will take a strong man to control it all. Uh, and I believe if we go to that, it will be like an oligarchic dictatorship. It won't just be the president. 
who's really just riding top on this whole herd of flying umbrellas, you know, basically. Well, let me let me um, let me interject, yeah. John. Could that strong man be the one the Bible calls the Antichrist? Yes, is the answer to that, because we're not alone in this. All right. Everybody's tied together. All the currencies of the world tied together. Europe is facing the same very same issue. And at some point, somebody's going to have to bail the global economic system out of where it is once the pain and the chaos gets so bad. Somebody will have to come along with a solution. And so you're right. Couple that with global surveillance, controlling and watching everything that we do, artificial intelligence that can outsmart us, uh, an oligarchic dictatorship. Uh, as Vaclav Havel, the Czech dissident, said, the new dictatorships are not rotating around a single person. They will around Antichrist, but they're rotating around a system of people. And I think that's where we're headed. Now, I don't get depressed every day thinking about that because I know what the end game is. I understand God told us this was coming, and so we should have some comfort in that. It doesn't mean we don't have a lot of rough bumps <laughs> that we have to be prepared for. And your faith has to stay intact during that time. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, the reason I'm, I'm pessimistic, you mentioned option one was to reform and go back to a somewhat functional form of government. Uh, that would involve short-term pain. And one of the things we talked a lot about on this show, that people have lost uh, the understanding of what's called delayed gratification. So in other words, we want it and we want it now, and we are not willing to do anything in the short term that might be uncomfortable or painful, even if it's for our long-term benefit. Yeah, and you're right. And the generation there, if we circle it around to millennials, you see all this ties together. If we circle it around to millennials, uh, millennials are thinking they're going to fix everything. And right now in the United States, um, every man, woman, and child owes somewhere between fifty and $70,000 personally in national debt. And they will pay that over the course of their lifetime, uh, one way or another, in lousy salary, reduced style of living, etc. And when you and I die, if we don't get our share paid off, that rolls onto their backs. They mm -hmm. inherit mm -hmm. my debt. Okay, so that's what they're faced with. The problem is, I remember it was a Genzo Parsons who did his book, uh, Dying of Money. Or there, there are two books that came out about the same time, When Money Dies and Dying of Money. And I think it was uh, Genzo Parsons wrote one of them. And he said, in the beginning of the great inflation, and I might put taxation on there, as they begin to destroy the currency to pay for all these goodies, everybody benefits. That was the baby boom generation, the World War II generation, and Gen X. In the end, however, nobody benefits and everybody pays. And so the millennials will be asked to pay for the sins of the Gen Xers, the baby boomers, and the World War II people in their lifetimes. They're not going to want to do that. They'll say, we didn't get any benefit from this. Mm -hmm. Why should we pay for it? And therein lies that chaos that you're talking about. Yeah, and I think the only solution in the world's eyes is to push the reset button, and uh, that is to basically give up our individual freedom and sovereignty uh, to a man who appears to be godly and appears to have all the answers. So uh, it's going to be interesting. And, John, I don't know if old-timers like you and I will be around to, to see all that, but it is a fascinating uh, journey to watch us be on. Yeah, we'll watch it from the mezzanine floor. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Hey, John, tell us a little bit uh, for, our, for our new listeners about Steel on Steel Radio, uh, how people can subscribe to your podcast and what they can expect. Yeah, we're a 90-minute, really intense program. We don't waste a lot of time on chit-chat. Uh, we get in, I do a borologue, meaning a boring monologue at the beginning, uh, and then we jump into interviews with guests. And at the end, Steve Schiller and I do a, um, a what am I trying to say? We do a, a Section 6 update is what we call it. We look at an intelligence thing around the world, what's really going on versus what the media are telling you is going on. So you can find us at steelonsteel.com, just like the metal. Steelonsteel.com is $10 a month. That's how we make our living and support the show. And our philosophy is, uh, first of all, we're going to cover economics, politics, and religion. We're going to tell you what's really going on. If you're going to take the time to listen, we should take the time to put something out there worth listening to. And we do ask people to join us, too, by the way, for free on our podcast page. I'm sorry, on our Facebook page, Praying for Persecuted Christians. There is a short version of the show if people want to hear it. Yeah, on most of the major podcast sites. There's a half-hour version every week called Steel on Steel, and that doesn't have a subscription level to it. You mentioned praying for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. I think we need to pray for them. I think we need to support them any way we can. 
And I think we need to look at them as an example of what we may be going through. And, and Lord, may we have the strength that they have when that hits shores in the good old uh, land of the free and home of the brave. And the U.S. too. Yeah, <laughs> that place too. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, any dude, clo- listen, people. People should. Yeah, closing thought. People should not be. Sorry, I took your wind out there. <laughs> uh, people should not be depressed. These are going to be really rough times and challenges, but they make for terrific Christians. They sharpen your faith. They demand something of you. You'll find out who the real Christians are. But ultimately, all of this stuff goes away. The world goes away. The money goes away. The United States goes away. Canada goes away. Only one nation remains. That's Israel, we're told, in the end times, you know. And so we understand the end game. And all we're trying to do is encourage each other to navigate these tricky waters en route to that positive end game. And what I tell millennials when they tell me they want a world free of pollution, free of sin, free of economic injustice, I say, so do I. And would you like to know how to get there? confess and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And when he returns to create a new heaven, a new earth, no poverty, no pollution, no death, no suffering. So we all want the same thing. We just look for different solutions on how to get there. Indeed, indeed we do. Remember to pray for the persecuted church and join us on our uh, Facebook page. Just search Praying for Persecuted Christians. And, we have people from all over the world. And John will be joining us uh, next April for our Watchman Conference, along with tomorrow's guest, Gary Kaw. Always a blessing and a pleasure talking to you, my brother, and we'll talk to you in the month of August. See you then. God bless. God bless. John Leffler, Steel on Steel Radio. Check it out. Well worth your time. When we come back, we'll wrap up today's show and talk about tomorrow's guest. We're getting ready to wrap up today's show. Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. Now, here's Mike LeMay. It's always intriguing to me when we read the prophetic scriptures where God lays out what the final days are going to look like, a one-world government, a one-world religion, one called Antichrist who rises to power and people either choose to worship the one true God or to worship him. So there's a certain inevitability when we read the scriptures, yet we're told over and over to live today, share the gospel, and make disciples. Well, a man who's been writing about the coming one world government religion for more than 30 years, Gary Kaw of Hope for the World Ministry joins us tomorrow. Gary is a regular guest. And of course, Gary and John Leffler will be joining us first weekend of April 2020 for our Watchman Conference. And we'll, as we get towards the end of the year, uh, we'll give you details on how you can sign up for that. But uh, Gary's going to help us uh, look at dirty politics tomorrow. Can we believe anything coming out of Washington, D.C.? How do we ferret out all the noise and get to the truth of things? And really, as we've talked with John Leffler today, is there a huge difference in what both political parties want or just how they're going to get us there? Is globalism inevitable? Uh, And if so, what do we do as Christians in the interim? So that'd be a very fascinating discussion with Gary Kaw. But as John Leffler said, and as Gary Call will say, there is a reason for hope, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Have you confessed yourself as a sinner, and have you put your faith and trust in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? If you have, you will spend eternity with God in heaven. If you have not, do so today because we never know if we have tomorrow or not. For Crash Connell, Mike LeMay standing up for the truth. Be bold, strong, and always unashamed of the gospel because the Lord your God is always with you.